Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. Real talk, real people, real experiences. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Hi, Keith Williams here with the Skill Stadium podcast, and I have with me today, Ricky Moses, who is a carpenter in the Philadelphia area. And um, Ricky, welcome to the show. Um, I have a question for you in that, uh, you know, Bob Marley once said, if you, you know, if you know your history, then you would know where you're coming from. Then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to ask me who the heck do I think I am. With that in mind, tell me as a child, what did you enjoy doing and how did that shape you to become the man that you are today doing the work that you do? Well, I would say I was fortunate enough to go to a, a little private school called uh, Mequon School up in Conshohocken. It's a very uh, urban-based uh, learning environment where we learn with our hands and play out in nature and learning how to be uh, just a good overall person environmentalist. Uh, kind of what I learned. And so a lot of my classes were hands-on and crafty and building forts and just, you know, at the same time, learning a lot about, you know, the traditional, you know, uh, English and math and literature, but just always making sure that there was an emphasis on, um, you know, nature and its beauty. And I think that's where uh, a lot of my passion for carpentry comes from and then also alongside with the fact that my dad has always done house projects and i was always helping him uh, so that's that's really it right there. excellent uh, so how, at what age did you start doing some of those projects with your dad like um uh, i mean honestly i don't even remember i can just remember when he allowed me like of age i guess <laughs> i mean it was under 12 for sure uh he didn't let me operate any you know like crazy things. I actually probably had a chance to operate more saws that were electric and uh, something he probably wouldn't want me to do at early age at the uh, Mequon school that I did at home, but uh, we definitely did a lot of gardening projects um, and then we did a lot of like uh, little house stuff, you know, fixing windows or doors or uh, we had one really old home in uh, Overbrook Farms and uh, we had to work on it for six months before we moved in. And man, that was, that was a lot of work. I spackling, all different types of stuff. But it was great. Uh, that was like one of my favorite houses to live in. Excellent. And you know, I know that you, you know, because I know that you were a high caliber baseball player and an athlete. And, I, I, you know, how did that impact you in terms of the work that you today being an athlete? Because uh, I always feel like athletes are you know, they're, they're, they pay more attention to detail. They're more competitive. There's a huge advantage, I believe, in being an athlete when you're out in the workforce. And I'd be curious how that impacted you in the work that you do today. Well, I think the advantage of being an athlete, I think something that's really come around besides the obvious, um, you know, of hand-eye coordination, discipline, getting up early, um, all the things that take, you know, um, what it takes to be successful. I think, you know, you did it for free, right? I mean, if you really think about it, you either paid for it or you did it for free. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess that's what I've probably been grappling with the hardest, trying to make sure I'm on the right path in my own life is because 
you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when you had the benefit to do something and there was no money or monetary connection involved for you and you just truly loved what you were doing, it's hard to go back from that mindset to just exchanging your time for money. So, um, you know, I'm a firm believer of just following your passions and as well as making sure you take care of business and take care of yourself. Definitely. Definitely. You know, um, we have a skills gap. We don't have enough people going into the skill trades and you know, that that's dangerous because there are a lot of older workers retiring. How do you think we can get more people, young people into the skill trades? Well, I think, you know, we have to start looking in areas such as, um, athletes. Um, this is something I've spoken to about, um, to a few couple people in the uh, different organizations that I've been a part of. Um, but, I would say that, you know, recruiting college athletes and high school athletes, I think, would be the best way for the trades as a whole, union and non-union, to really get back a, uh, a considerable amount of workforce, you know, because you're used to being part of a team, you enjoy being part of a team, and you enjoy the visual satisfaction of completing something with your hands at the end of the day. And that's really, you know, what the trade, uh, you know, accomplishes. How, how have the organizations taken that feedback that you've shared? Because you probably would be a great well, person to lead that. Uh, you know, they've taken it and they've asked me to, you know, reach out to some of the um, different schools and stuff. The problem is I just time, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, been married, loved, you know, blessed been married for two years. We've just, just got a house this year, um, you know, and so, but with that comes a lot of responsibility. Sure. Uh, and so as having your own personal affairs and trying to, you know, um, balance your, your, your home life with your wife and your, you know, I got dogs are like my little children and then family and extended family members that, you know, you want to help take care of, um, on top of, you know, working the type of work that we do, there's really not much time in the day to be able to extend, um, you know, to go to the schools and do the work to actually sit down and talk to these, uh, you know, athletic departments and try and create some, uh, some noise there. I mean, I think there would have to be a position that would open up where someone just did that. That would be, that's a job in my opinion. No, I agree with you because you think about it when you're going to be, when you're recruiting athletes, you have to go during the school day, which is probably the time that you're working. So, um, you know, they would probably need somebody dedicated to that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I'm currently working, you know, on the bridges you know, downtown. Um, and, you know, we'll work anywhere between, you know, 10 to 13 hours a day. You know, I'm only off today because it's raining. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and not just raining, but it's a couple inches worth. And that's when, you know, you really can't get anything done. No, that makes Excuse sense. me outside. That makes sense. I also think that social media could help because a lot of young people, I believe you have to go to where, where the young people are. Uh, and so I would imagine that being on social media would probably be another way that could, you could connect with these young people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, to me, that's the obvious and that's the easiest, right? I mean, that's like guerrilla marketing at its finest. I mean, that doesn't take any effort to do. I mean, you could have a digital, you know, ambassadors and all that kind of stuff like that that are already trending as far as in the non-union world, but as far as from a union perspective, you know, our advantage is the fact that we're educated professionals, like, the whole point of a, a union contractor is paying us to educate, uh, you know, ourselves to be uh, the best worker and create the best product for them to either sell to their client or utilize themselves. And it's just a fact of, you know, knowledge is power. And, 
the key to being successful is having more of that knowledge. And I think that's what the union has to offer overnight. Safety, and just the fact that, you know, when you're a contractor, you know, I mean, when you're in a position of power, flat out, you enter a social contract with the people that are lesser of you in the financial space. And you don't realize it, but you are now responsible for these people. And I think after a certain point, you have to realize, like, okay, how much do I really need as an individual to be happy? Do I really need all of this? You know, do I need to really, like, look at like, how I'm bringing happiness to myself? You know, my moral values, my, my moral values uh, and business um, ethics and stuff. And I would say that, you know, for me, uh, I think knowing that you are providing good paying jobs with good benefits and a way of life for a lot of people is probably one of the most fulfilling things you can do in your life. Definitely. Can you talk, you know, you mentioned union. Can you talk about the benefits of going into the union versus say an open shop? Because, you know, there's, it seems like they're they're two very distinct paths and, you know, you mentioned union. I know you're involved in a union. Can you tell us why, you know, what, what the difference is and what are the advantages? I mean, I think it's, you know, listen, at the end of the day, we're all the same. So I don't want to make it seem like you have to choose a path. You have to choose a path that's going to you. But that being said, I feel that the reason why I like the union path better is because it literally ensures that you get what you deserve as a worker, you know? And I mean, all of the benefits that the white collar jobs have, the weekends, the uh, vacations and Every other perk you could think of really started from the union laborer uh, organization. Uh, the different one, I should say. And, um, you know, I think, in, you know, embodying those, those original and fundamental values that we started these unions on is what needs to continue today uh, for us to continue to prosper. And I think that, um, you know, when you look at the non-union path, there's just a lot more. It's like you're, you're alone. You know, I mean, yeah, you, there's a ton of work, you know, yeah, there's, there's a, an endless supply, I mean, an endless demand, uh, and a and low supply. So if you look at it from a business you know, analysis, yeah, I mean, you would be overwhelmed with opportunity. But the problem is there are so many different ways to build something and there's so much information out there from the old to this present. And then all these new innovative ways of building that are coming out that like, if you don't have someone helping guide you through that process, it's going to be very difficult for you. And you can lose a lot of money. You could get hurt. You could hurt someone else. You could create a name for yourself. So, um, and also it's just money. I mean, simply said, I mean, simply um, said, it's just the fact that you, I mean, how do you really, I know a lot of non-union guys, the owners are making what a union journey is. You know, um, and it's just not the level of headache is different. You know, I mean, how much stress do you want? Do you want to have all that control but never be able to use it as far as what you're going to do with your life? Or, you know, do you want to be able to go to work, feel fulfilled, come home and rest sure. and know that you don't have to worry about all the overhead and all that other stuff that's someone else's problem? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it really just depends on what you want out of life. Sure. You know? My takeaway from just listening to you is that. It seems like with the union, you're focused on the work as opposed to worrying about anything else. So you go to work, you have a little bit more structure in place so that Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about all those other things. You can just focus on, here's my job, here's what I have to do. 
that that's kind of what I yeah. what I took away from what you were saying. Exactly. You just you go to work, you work hard, you utilize the skills that you you know acquired from your apprenticeship and from the during upgrades and all the courses, and you you know quote unquote make your contract your money and 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 prove why we are worth our money mm-hmm. and worth our 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 cost. Mm-hmm. I I do have a question just to kind of jump on that. You know, a lot of people when they talk about union, they talk about a brotherhood. I would imagine that having people who can mentor you. I would guess, and again, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, that it seems like there's more people in there to support and guide you, to mentor you. So if you're having, if you're challenged with something, there's somebody there who's saying, okay, hey, hey Ricky, you know, let's try it this way or let's try it that way. You, you know, you're not, you're not just kind of left to your own devices. Am I correct in saying that? I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, the problem with the industry as a whole is that because you have so many people that are of an older age, their patience isn't the same as where it could have been maybe 10 years prior to teach someone. And I think that's a problem union and non-union, okay. you know, and I think that's why it's so hard to find mentors in general. I think that's, like, to me, that's more of a con- construction industry-wide problem, sure. you know, um, versus just, I mean, yes. You're going to find mentors. You're going to find, because we have teachers, we have instructors, we have people's job that it is to actually help you get through what you need to get through. And then it's on you to utilize that. Sure. But also, you know, so to answer your question, yes. But I think, you know, to also just add to that, I think um, there's a huge communica- uh, uh, communication gap between the older generation and the new generation. I think it's because of the different learning styles, sure. you know, is that, you know, back then you were, you just did what you were told and my generation and slightly before me and all below me, or I should say after me, you know, was taught to ask why, Yes. you know? And I think a lot of the older generation get offended when you ask why, it's like you're insulting their intelligence or questioning, you know, their process. And, and, and what I've noticed is that when I've asked questions, the ones that, you know, are good with their hands, but then they realize they're trying to articulate what motion they're doing or how they're doing it. They're realizing like, wow, like, okay, I'm not able to articulate what I'm doing correctly. And that's how you truly master something, being able to do it and also explain it and teach it to another, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that's where we have a lack of, um, uh, of success as far as a succession plan and, and bringing up more uh, useful uh, tradespeople is because it's not that millennials don't want to work. It's because there's a communication gap. We're not communicating in a way to show them how we want to work mm-hmm. and learn from them, you know? And I don't think it's like one person has to come to the other. It has to be a mutual uh, a give and take for that, that, that dialogue to be, you know, efficient. Um, but, you know, I think that's the biggest problem that I've run into on jobs and what I've seen from myself and my peers that are my age and older and, and slightly younger is just the patience level is not there. And like you're, you're in this school, private school, public school, whatever, like, you know, and you're taught to ask all these questions and all these movies on TV that, you know, promote you to ask questions and be all that. And then you get out here into the blue collar industry and it's just like, not nah, to do it. And you're like, well, why do we do that? Or how do we do that? And then people get all like, they get offended. Well, that's because, you know, and it's like, dude, it's not even that. I just want to know why. Yeah. Like, I want to know why so that I can understand it because that is how I've learned. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I think that's the biggest issue right now. Yeah, I think it forces both sides to try and understand each other. And it's almost like you're mm-hmm. speaking two different languages. And 
if you could both understand where each other's coming from, because you're you're asking that question just because you're trying to understand, you know, the process to understand what the purpose is, as opposed to you're not questioning that person's work. Then I think yeah. That, yeah. 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 No, that makes because sense. Because back in the day when you when someone asked questions about their work, it was to make like, you know, because there's a there's a there's a foreman or or the person that wants to be, you know, not the nice coworker that is asking them to like explain it to them because they think that they did it wrong. And so that they're automatically defensive because of those experiences that they had, but they need to realize that that's not every person. True. You know, and, and, you know, realize. How do people measure success? Like how do, how can someone tell that one is a good carpenter? Because, and I guess it also maybe depends on the type of job you're doing because, you know, it's, it's not like you have a job to do, you do your job. Is it the way you get along with people? Is it the work you're doing? Is it the initiative? It, you know, how, how is it determined that you are somebody who's doing a good job? Like, how are you measured for, for being good at your job? I think, so, if it's one thing I've learned, I mean, especially being an athlete, right, you're constantly measuring yourself to other people, right? I mean, it's like almost ingrained in you at the point of the day. Mm-hmm. Especially because I was blessed to play in the After leaving baseball and coming into the trades, it's no different. I'm realizing that, you know, you can continuously look out at other people and keep comparing yourself. To me, I would, I would challenge you to look at the fact of just where you think you are and where you should be within that process and then just evaluate yourself based off of that. And then also to um, my personal opinion on what successful people look like as far as on the job efficiency okay efficiency 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 like that dude or woman doesn't miss a swing they have a conscious a conscientious step every time like they know exactly why they're stepping that way to go and get that piece of material like there's no wasted movement it's kind of like as a as a former hitting coach you, you watch someone swing a bat and it looks effortless Yes, and the ball just rockets and explodes off them, right? Mm-hmm. Excuse me, much of the same in, in construction, I always noticed who to watch because those men and women didn't miss a nail, they didn't miss a screw, and when they picked up, like they knew where every single part of their, uh, of their tools were on their pouch, like they didn't even have to look when they were grabbing their speed square to measure it out with the tape. Like everything was there. Like I remember when I first got, I'm still looking for this. I'm like, oh, snap, here. Like, where's my thing? You know, and it isn't until you really start getting used to the flow of like drawing your quote unquote, you know, weapons. You know, it's like, you know, your tools, you, you, it's like you, you get used to where they are in your belt and then that helps with your efficiency. But the person that's mastered all of that makes it so that they don't have to worry about their physical hands and feet of where they're going. They can focus more at the task and solving the problem mentally to tell their hands what to do. Yeah. You know? That makes sense. You know what it is? There's somebody who studies their craft. So meaning they're, they're the, yeah. like somebody who studies film, they study their craft. Because in order to be that efficient, you have to know what you're doing. You have to be somebody who's made some kind of plan in advance. This, again, that's my guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So. And also learn from their mistakes because you don't learn from being successful. You learn from what you've done wrong, how bad you did it. And sometimes without that bad, you wouldn't be able to come as good as you are. Mm-hmm. So, 
Mm -hmm. So also in terms of um, people um, wanting to become a carpenter, can you can you share, you know, maybe the process in terms of um, what they, you know, what skill sets they would need to have or character traits, um, you know, obviously being efficient, but what, what are some things that you see that make these folks really successful at being carpenters and being good at the job? As specific as a question that is, it's a very complex answer strictly because every carpenter job is different. And by that, I mean, there's pile drivers, there's cabinet makers, there's layout people, there's concrete, there's heavy highway, there's bridge builders, there's commercial. I mean, and then there's just subsectors within all that as well. Um, And I think each one uh, takes a different uh, approach to their craft. And you would have to watch that specific industry uh, or subcategory within that industry to really see what you would need to know personally. So like, I mean, if you're just talking about success in general, I can give you my opinion on what it takes to be successful in general. But to say, that's why, I mean, you have completely different apprenticeships with you in the the carpenters union alone. Mm -hmm. There's There's an apprenticeship in cabinetry for four years. You know, there's an apprenticeship in pile driving where you learn how to weld underwater and you have to get a submersive uh, diving license or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, right here at our school up here on Philadelphia, we have one of the only uh, submerging tanks um, where you can actually just fill up with water and you practice underwater welding. Um, and so uh, that being said, like, you know, it's very specific to the industry and then the job at hand. Also, do you guys work a lot with other, because, you know, one of the things I've noticed is carpentry seems to be the foundation of the skilled trades. Um, How are you finding, like, who are you working with typically in terms of other skilled trades people? And how do you guys, you know, when you're working on a project, how do you coordinate to be able to attack a project and get something done and, and, and work as a, uh, as a team when you bring in different professions, how does that all work out? It's more of, so I think if you look at it from the, you, you have to kind of break this up again into categories. So like if you're in the non-union world, yeah, you're, you're basically having to negotiate all that stuff and be like the site superintendent, possibly the owner, possibly the designer, and possibly the installer on top of making sure that all these other trades stay in line with the, the, the uh, timeline of what you guys have agreed upon, you know, as far as the, duct work or the electrical work or the plumbing work and, you know, et cetera. Um, but if you're working on a union job, there's someone's job above you that is to coordinate all that. So you have your foreman who coordinates the everyday tasks and the manpower and the job of that specific section that they're building. Um, and then you have the superintendents that are usually in charge of the entire job and they're in charge of what you're asking right now as far as, um, uh, coordinating all of the different trades to make sure that the deliveries don't, you know, run into each other, that not too many people are one section at a time, especially now with the COVID stuff. So, you know, um, and then above that, you have your project managers. Um, And so it it just continues to go up the chain of command as far as importance and and whose job it is. You know, the the, the further you get away from the work, the more management skills are needed, I would say. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Kind of wrapping up, what does the future look like for you in terms of your ambitions and 
you know, where do you, you know, you're finishing up the apprentice. This is your fourth year. Where do you see yourself going in the future? What is, what is, what are you trying to achieve? What is it that you want to do? I'm, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm looking to just stay where I am right now, as far as I'm working for Buckley and company. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy being outside like I was in uh, baseball and, and I enjoy the satisfaction of feeling that I'm, you know, creating better infrastructure for the city that I've grown up in and around. Um, and as far as my future, I, you know, I don't really know. I don't have any plans that I really am willing to share about that. <laughs> sure, no problem. So, no problem. That's uh, really it. That's all I got for that. Sure, sure, no problem. And again, I was just thinking about like as you move up the ladder that, you know, but um, also finally, um, do you have any recommendations uh, for folks who are interested in becoming a, uh, a carpenter in terms of students who want to learn about the profession? I would say, you know, it, Google is your best friend. Um, I said it once before, I'll say it again. You know, you got to do the research. You got to figure out what you want as far as uh, out of carpentry because you can be your own boss and, you know, set your own schedule, but you're going to inherit a lot more risk. Um, or you can go and work for somebody else, or you can go and research the unions and and, and uh, get in contact with one of the business agents uh, or the schools or the uh, the halls and, and go down and talk to them and see what, you know, it takes to become a full-time and full-fledged member. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of non-union um, associations as well, like um, the National Association of the Home uh, Remodeling Industry. And um, there's a lot of good non-union companies out there as well that, especially if you're young, just reach out to them on social media. They're, they're willing to entertain, you know, a conversation or a possible interview. You know, it's all about how you put your energy out there. Really. Definitely. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for taking time to do this interview. And I uh, wish you continued success. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.